Welcome to the Washdown Podcast. And tonight's guest is Matt Domjancic. Uh, Matt was a police officer who was medically retired. Um, he is now a police chaplain along with a lot of other stuff. Um, yeah, his bio's just got too much stuff to list uh, here, so I'm going to let him tell you about it. We had a great conversation, um, learned a lot of stuff, um, hit a lot of great points. So I hope you enjoy it. So like, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, uh, you know, subscribe on Spotify, all that good stuff. Um, yeah. So here you go. The Washdown podcast with guest Matt Domjancic. All right. So there you go. So everything that you just said, repeat all of that stuff. <laughs> all right. You're going to have to prompt me. <laughs> Well, Matt, thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give a little bit of background, and we will just jump right into this. I feel like this is going to be a, a pretty fantastic conversation. All right. Well, thank you for having me, and it's great to see you again. I would love it if you guys were coming out here more surfing. Um, oh, believe but me, I, I would love that too. Yeah. <laughs> I am a medically retired cop from the East Coast. I was a cop in Connecticut at first. Uh, and also a strength and conditioning coach at Yale and doing sports ministry. So I always kind of worked three jobs. I was a cop, strength coach, and doing sports ministry. 20 years ago in Connecticut, 20 plus years now, actually, yeah, it was already getting anti-cop, charging cops with crimes for completely legit shootings, protesting this and that, doing a report if you pulled your gun, documenting motor vehicle stops with like just so much paperwork. That was already going on. And as a cop, I was going hands-on on calls with other agencies where people drew their guns. And they were like, what the hell are you doing? And I, as much as I was into tactical training and MMA before it was cool, I was worried about my supervisors getting on me. And so I'm going hands-on when they should have been a higher level of force. And I was worried about getting in trouble, which now is a problem across the country. So I took a huge pay cut and had to repeat a full six-month academy, and I moved to the D.C. area for a much larger agency because I also wanted to be on a, a better SWAT team. Connecticut's a, a lot of great cops up there, but the training was archaic, and a lot of people do not understand. When you see stuff go sideways on these videos, these people might be still shooting Weaver, if people even know what that is, but like you're barely learning how to shoot and a short academy a lot of the times, you're not learning enough martial arts to actually fight, and you're not getting enough scenario training to perform well under stress. So I moved to the D.C. area. Thank God the training's like 20 years ahead of Connecticut. Um, loving life. Uh, strength coach at Georgetown and doing sports ministry at Georgetown. And for the large agency, I worked patrol in a high-crime area, peer support, SWAT and full-time academy instructor for fitness and officer survival. And I implemented a lot of stuff that we were doing at the division one level. So I created workouts to train them as tactical athletes before that term was cool, where you were doing almost like a D one workout. And then your conditioning was combatives. I built the gym, like a college weight room and an MMA gym and strongman equipment. And so gross motor combative skills were your conditioning uh, I had supplements for the officers. We were training with heart rate monitors back then to see how you physiolog physiologically reacted to the stress of fitness. 
shooting, martial arts, and scenarios. And then I taught breath work with early heart rate variability devices, which is now like what the aura ring or all these gadgets do to see what our, our physical resist, uh, resiliency is. And it was my dream life, take home car, all the toys. I'm training people to lift. I can lift and shoot all the time. I get an injury, a minor injury during a SWAT workout. Work comp doctor says you need a surgery. I had no idea that maybe you shouldn't just trust work comp doctors. And I get a surgery. <laughs> it goes south. I mean, because I only had injuries in college football and high yeah. school. And when you get hurt in football, where I'm from in Pittsburgh, you're treated like a god. You get hurt in college, especially if you're a starter, they're doing everything possible to pamper you and get you back on the field. Yeah. Well, come to find out work comp doctors are good at giving you drugs, ignore, delay, deny your treatment, or do surgeries because that's how they make money. Well, it's a long story short. I get a surgery that goes wrong, causes internal infections. I don't know how many months it took. While I have internal bleeding and an infection, I'm on antibiotics, opiates, eventually muscle relaxers, benzos, sleep meds. And I didn't know those drugs were that bad because 15 years ago, it was illicit drugs on the street. One of my SWAT buddies who used to be what's called jump out, a tactical narc squad, picked me up from the hospital once and he knew more about prescription drugs. He's like, hey, dude, this is all really bad stuff and high doses and in combinations you probably shouldn't be on. And I'm like, they know I'm a cop. Why, why would they be giving a cop all these drugs? Because they don't Long care. Story. What's that? <laughs> I said they don't care. They don't. You, you nailed it right on the head whenever you said work comp doctors just don't give a shit. <laughs> so I ended up, and I also thought my work comp caseworker was like a nurse practitioner. I didn't understand. They're just some civilian that does. I, I say work comp is about ignore, delay, deny treatment and try to pass it off on you did something on your own. So three years of delays and corrective surgeries, I end up 270 pounds, obese, wearing diapers, no control of my bodily functions. And, you know, I recovered from horrible injuries in high school and college football. Like you're never going to squat again. You're never going to run again. Well, I rehabbed and, and I've always been into fitness, nutrition, meditation, you know, holistic, taking care of yourself. Unfortunately, this was an injury I could not come back from. I got medically retired and my shrink, who was a pretty amazing woman and a good advocate for me on the East Coast and even years ago, she had yoga, massage, Reiki, a nutritionist in her psychiatry office because there's a big connection from gut health yeah. and brain, mood, cognitive function. And she was on top of that. And she told me to move to LA for functional and integrative medicine because I was on all these drugs I wanted to get off. I was fat, wearing diapers, miserable, and in a very dark place, even with somebody that was in therapy, something called spiritual direction, where I always had priests mm -hmm. who were also therapists. And I kept eating strict and meditating and journaling. And I was never one to not reach out for help. I didn't want my buddies to help me because I didn't want them I didn't want to be a burden to my friends. And that's something I had to learn. You got to let your friends help you. Um, but I did reach out for help, but still it sucked. Moved out here, got back on the horse, got back in shape through a ton of work. Like I had three physical therapy appointments a week, one chiropractor appointment a week for deep tissue, one or two vitamin IVs a week because my digestion was trash, my immune system 
they balance my hormones. I had to learn how to fast because of my I have incontinence issues long before fasting was now cool. It's cool now. <clears throat> but I had to grind to get my health back. I get my health back through all these doctors and work. I go get a second master's in sports psych. I, I didn't mention I have a my first master's was forensic science under Dr. Henry Lee. I thought I wanted to be an FBI agent or, you know, growing up. And I longer story, I did an internship where I lived on a mountain in West Virginia at a contract training facility with a former special forces DC SWAT contract training guy, which in the Middle East in the 90s, we had Blackwater Lodge, Storm Mountain Training Center, these other places where these special forces dudes just tune up the special forces units or you go there for SWAT schools and training. So I was a forensic science grad student repelling fast rope sniper school with all these special forces dudes and SWAT teams. And I was like, Hey man, this federal thing is not what I thought it was because you meet the feds. They weren't in, they weren't into the lifting, fighting, shooting. The ones that were cool said they had more fun when they were a cop and they admitted it's more of a corporate job. And I just got along with the enlisted guys and like the metropolitan cops. So that whole whole shifted my, why did I go to grad school for forensics? I don't want to be a fed, <laughs> but I finished the degree um, and eventually became a, a cop because I wanted to make a SWAT team and I thought it was a great way to do ministry. And I wanted to learn about psychology and theology because I thought I wanted to be a psychologist someday or full-time ministry. And what a better way to do ministry, be a cop. Everybody's miserable and in crisis, the victims and the criminals. So anyways, fast forward, I do the sports psych degree after I recover myself. I'm coaching NFL combine prep and doing their sports psychology at a private sports facility, like super amazing, working out with college pro Olympic athletes every day. I finish that master's and I'm, a, and I'm going to take a year off just to keep doing sports psych with elite athletes and strength conditioning. And then I'm going to do a PhD in psychology so I can be a psychologist for athletes, veterans, and first responders who usually stigmatize and avoid mental health professionals. What? But I was yeah. So, <laughs> but I was hoping that with some military experience, police experience, a ton of sports experience, and also the background in sports psychology, which is like performance under pressure, stress management, proactive type stuff. I was hoping I would have a foot in the door and maybe reduce some of the stigma. I finished that degree and I get a new work comp caseworker calls me and tells me I cost too much money and I should stop seeing all these doctors and go back on meds. Like instead of physical therapy, you can take opiates and muscle relaxers instead of seeing a psychiatrist where I did talk therapy. And I also did something called neurofeedback where I meditate and they're measuring my brain waves. Yep. Well, that costs more money. He told me, he goes, you can take psych meds, anxiety and depression meds instead of therapy and neurofeedback instead yeah, of the chiropractor. Yeah. I mean, great. Make me yeah. a drug addict. Yeah. Let's and this stuff all, it instead of fixing it. Yeah. Well, and that stuff, I said that stuff's in my medical records. It almost killed me in the first place. Right. That's what shut down my immune digestive and hormones. And then he further said, that he was my life coach and he was going to help me work full time and find a job based on my disability issues 
And I think it was like, I forget what the jobs were. But anyways, he said my doctors were quacks and I was too fit and productive in, re in retirement anyway. So I was like, how can the doctors be quacks? I'm too fit and productive and I'm not on any drugs. And you're telling me I need to go back on a bunch of dangerous drugs. So anyways, they cut off my disability pay and medical care for three and a half years. It went all the way to the state Supreme Court. And it was basically arguing, one, they were trying to make it look like I was faking my injuries. They had pictures of me working out with pro athletes. I, I'm not retired on a blown knee or blown back. If I was, then you got me, right? Yeah. I'm still working out. I'm permanently incontinent. And I've been to Cleveland Clinic, John Hopkins, Cedar sinai top doctors in the country in that area. I cannot be fixed. You know, so um, I have a total disability. There's no question about it. The doctors they sent me to sided with me and they tried to hide the reports. Like they would submit them the morning of the court case. And thank God I had a smart lawyer who would check the computer and it'd be like, an old doctor's appointment they're supposed to share with both lawyers saying basically like one of the experts they sent me to said with your problems most people would be sitting at all day sitting at home all day with the diaper and you're going to grad school you're doing volunteer ministry you're coaching he's like working out he's like good for you you know like i support what you're doing so anyways, that took three and a half years. And when you have no money, I had to sell my Jeep Rubicon, which I loved, and my 98 Toyota 4Runner that I was going to keep until I died. I had no car. My friends started to go fund me. And thank God, uh, Loyola Marymount University down the road offered me a full ride for a pastoral theology degree, master's. So I, have, I did a third master's instead of a doctorate, but I did it just to do something, I had to borrow the neighbor's minivan to go to class. I did it to, to have something else to ground me during this horrible, horrible time. Um, and I wasn't thinking about doing police chaplain or peer support work. I was just taking a deeper dive into my own spirituality, going on longer retreats. I used to, you know, I've been going on retreats for 25 years. Um, I was always into my meditation, spirituality, contemplative Christianity, which is more meditative and reflective type prayers. But I would never do more than a three-day retreat because I wouldn't skip the gym or eating healthy for three days, right? <laughs> That's how nutty strict I was. So when I couldn't work during this horrible legal case, I started going on 10-day silent retreats at a monastery in Colorado with a famous uh, monk, Father Thomas Keating. I went on Vipassana, which is 10-day Buddhist retreats with a woman that was trained in Buddhism and Christianity. And I just really did more and more work on myself. And I had been doing work on myself my whole life, but I just took it <clears throat> deeper. And then, long story short, I also did another two-year, something called another two-year spiritual direction school with Protestants, because I was at a Jesuit Catholic school, which they're very ecumenical. They train us in a manner where we had to, I had Protestant and Catholic professors, which I appreciate, because um, I'm not into this one, one church or one religion's got all the truths and everybody else is burning in hell. So I like learning the different perspectives. But for the spiritual direction, which is generically speaking, I'll say it's like spiritual counseling, but also learning about meditation and mindfulness in the religious traditions 
and trying to figure out how either God, love, peace, and joy is showing up in your daily life more. I did another two-year school with very liberal Protestants, and I knew I was real liberal, and it was anti-cop and not into veterans, a big LGBT community with the teachers and my classmates. But I wanted to learn that material from a different perspective. I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot of people that hate cops, and I wanted to be around Christians that hated cops and learn that same material. So I did another two-year school with that. And long story short, started volunteering with the psychologist for one of the big brand name agencies out here because she's also into sports psych. So we were doing wellness and resiliency at the stations, trying to plan retreats for this agency. And I was volunteering with the chaplains, but some of the chaplains were mad that I was hanging out with the psychologists at stations. And it kind of seemed weird that there's a little bit of a, a turf war and a lot of politics. So I pieced out, went to another agency and I, this agency I love, and I've been with them four or five years. And then I eventually ended up uh, being invited by somebody that heard me speak at LMU during COVID online. We were doing talks on the inner life of first responders. It's, I mean, I don't know if we want to get into it down the road, but like, how do you take care of yourself mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? And it doesn't have to be tied to religion to manage all the stress, trauma, and the immersion and suffering of others. So I did some talks on that and got invited to be at another uh, law enforcement station in one of the most violent areas of LA. And they are squared away cops. And I've fallen in love with those uh, cops as well. And through other nonprofits and even, you know, like Rob meeting you guys, um, I get referrals for basically peer support or chaplain stuff like across the country. And I used to work for Copline and I still do peer support for Wounded Blue. Um, and I have a police psychologist, multiple police psychologists, but one that's contracted with <clears throat> 60 agencies in L.A. and Orange County. And psychologists refer people to me for peer support as they're in therapy and we're trying some new programs where after somebody's been in a critical incident um hopefully we're going to get this paid for where i take them we do cold plunge sauna then we do a float tank sensory deprivation float tank if anybody's familiar with that oh yeah and then i take them to lunch and then we talk about stuff so let's let's try to start teaching some of the modalities for calming down our physiology because yeah. so much of our thoughts and feelings are unconscious after a critical incident, and it can go on for years. Like when you have a physical injury, say when you're a kid and you touch a hot engine, a stove or an iron, you know, like, whoa, you, you react and pull away. Yeah. But often you have an injury and you can't ignore a physical injury for too long. You can't ignore a cut for too long or it gets infected. Psychological, spiritual and emotional wounds are invisible. And most of them are unconscious. So we pull our hand away from the stove, but we don't know that we buried it. And we're yeah. drinking and screwing people we shouldn't screw and riding our, our toys really fast and working overtime. It could be porn. It could be even too much jujitsu and CrossFit, covering up your emotional reactivity by being constantly busy. Yeah. So I'm hoping that, you know, in the future with this one psychologist, as people have critical incidents, Take them to get uh, you know, out here. They have places you get stretched for an hour or get a massage. Do yep. something to calm down the physiology. Then go hang out, talk shop. 
and try to teach people how to take better care of themselves. Well, yeah, so cause... in a nutshell, that's kind of what I, I do. And I try to ride along a lot. So the cops get to know me. I go lift weights at the station, lift weights with them. I need to jump back into more training. Like I was going to firearms training, defensive tactics, arrest and control. They call it different things in different states. I've done EVOC and pit training. Uh, I go watch SWAT canine training, be a role player, just be around because most chaplains often peer support and mental health professionals. If you even have them people, if they don't know you and you show up after a critical incident, Hey, let's high five. The psychologist is here. A chaplain's here and peer support. Nobody knows who the hell they are. You don't even work that station. Or if you do, you never show up unless shit hits the fan. And then you talk to the supervisors, which I'm not talking to you. If the only people I see you talking to are the brass. Yeah, like, yeah. so I want to develop relationships where people can share the good in their life. And we can talk about lifting or supplements or meditation or journaling or your kids' baseball or the good stuff. So when the bad stuff comes and you talk to me, it's not like, hey, somebody's talking to Matt, they must have PTSD or alcoholism or going through a divorce. Like, I don't know how 90% of the police psychology peer support chaplain world, all of our training that's advertised. And when we show up, we talk about suicide, divorce, addiction, and PTSD. But there's a long road to all that. And we know it happens to cops and firemen a lot. So <clears throat> tell me to shut up if you want me to shut up. You want me to keep going. <laughs> no, dude, <laughs> I'm just listening, man. You're not saying anything that I don't 100% agree with. And I do want to go back to what you were talking about a little a, a couple minutes ago about the cold plunge and the sensory deprivation chamber and stuff and how important doing and learning about those things are early. Because like it, like you said, it is a long road to get to the PTSD and the, you know, the divorce and all of that other, other stuff, because yeah, I mean, to use your analogy, we're just going to keep putting our hands back on that hot engine because Mm -hmm. that's, I mean, I don't want it to sound bad or anything, but that's our job. You know, we're out there, we're going to see those critical incidents. We're going to see that trauma over and over and over again. We got to learn how to deal with it. We got to learn how to mitigate it to the point where I mean, obviously it's going to affect you. It's going to change you, but you get to choose. You get to choose how it changes you. You can either let it destroy you or you can take it and let it make you stronger. Absolutely. So there's things like the studies on post-traumatic growth. If you've ever heard the terms initiations, rites of passage, there's something in Jungian psychology called the second half of life that a lot of spiritual traditions talk about. Um, but we don't do the training. So like, this is, this is first responder world. This is an analogy I use. We got somebody's fishing in a rough stream and somebody's coming down drowning. He throws down his fishing pole, takes his jeans and his shirt off, jumps in, he saves them. Crowd's like, dude, what a hero. Second person comes down the stream screaming, I need help, dude. Only had his jeans on. They're still wet. Takes them off, jumps in, saves a second person. Crowd's really impressed now. Third person comes down the stream drowning. He starts walking upstream, and they're like, aren't you going to save this person? He goes, no, 
I'm going upstream to find out why in the hell all these people that don't know how to swim are going in these rough waters. We need to put up a sign, rough waters ahead, maybe a fence, and give them some swimming lessons. So if we know that cops and firemen are horrible with divorce, addiction, PTSD, and suicidal ideation, but 90% of what we do is throw you, jump in to rescue you when you're drowning, like we're missing the point. Because like, think about an athlete, any athlete, and I know you were a former athlete, if you get an injury and you get out of shape, like rehabbing sucks bad. Or say in high school, you don't condition before football or basketball season. Dude, camp sucks. And you're more likely to get injured. And you feel like somebody shoved a pole up your ass. You can barely walk because you're not in shape. And that's what we're doing mentally, emotionally, and spiritually with first responders because we're not doing any strength and conditioning or even training on strength and conditioning for mental, emotional, spiritual health or physical health too, in terms of the parasympathetic nervous system, rest, relax, digest, chill out. What do you want to call it? Grounding yourself, centering yourself, or I call them spiritual practices. What are you doing to counter all the stress and trauma that's stored in your body? And for those that are working out hard, good for you. But are you doing recovery? Because elite athletes train hard, and then they get the massage, then they do the float tank. A lot of them now are doing breath work or meditation, or they go get in a, whether it's the cold plunge, the warm whirlpool, they get stretched by the trainers, they're eating healthy, they're drinking shakes, taking supplements. That's all that stuff to recover from the training. And they're not even exposed to trauma, and they're not making life and death decisions like a first responder. But we have no sports psychologists, sports nutritionists, athletic trainers for cops and firemen. Nope, Taking care you. of them along the way. So when are we going to start giving swimming lessons for the immersion in trauma? And depending on the studies, they'll say, some say 188 critical incidents in a first responder's career. I've heard other studies say 500, others say 800. Obviously, it depends where you work and how long you work. But if a normal citizen sees one or two events in their life that might cause PTSD, and if the lowest study says 188 for a cop or a fireman, and you get no training on it, and people only show up after you're broken, and then you got to worry, who are you going to tell? Are you going to, at least for a cop, are you going to take my badge or fireman? You're going to put me on light duty behind a desk. Am I never going to get promoted because I'm going to be seen as weak? Are my partners going to trust me on a call? Because all this suck it up, suffer in silence instead of, hey, dude, you see a dead kid? It's normal to be sad. It's normal to maybe want to punch the person that was drunk driving or the person that beat or raped their wife or neglected a kid. You don't do it, but there's anger there. And there's hurt there for innocent people that are suffering. But we stuff it. We stuff it away. And it builds up and it builds up. And if people have adverse childhood experiences? Did your parents get divorced? Did you get bullied? Do you have any type of abuse in your life? Or do you even just have bad relationships with the, the opposite sex that you never pause to reflect? What patterns do I have in my head and in my heart with my emotions that I'm not learning the lesson? So I'm repeating this stuff over and over. And am I aware that these calls I go on 
are unconsciously scratching at all the wounds I have that I have not dealt with and learned the lesson. Well, that's and so I, I say all the trauma, the suffering, the crappy things first responders deal with, it's your emotional, psychological, and spiritual weightlifting. Like you want to get stronger and faster, you're pushing harder in the gym, whether it's more weight, more reps, more sets, you're changing variables, and it's hard. But when we have the emotional, psychological stuff, we we pull back from the stove, but we're not recognizing it's those invisible wounds. And it's very cumulative. So if we don't yeah. like figure out how to deal with it along the way, um, I, I've heard these stories hundreds of times, cops, firemen, and veterans. I heard it when I was a cop and I did do peer support, but I was just the religious guy. So a lot of people, <clears throat> the religious guy that cussed and worked in the ghetto and was SWAT. So a few more people would talk to me than <laughs> regular peer support. Um, and same with athletes. Cause I can still hang with athletes. So I have some street cred. So they might, they'll, sometimes open up more than they would otherwise. And there's just a lot of themes um, that are standard for humans, but it gets worse when you're a man and then worse for a first responder. And women end up doing the same stupid shit that men do as first responders because they're worried about being stereotyped that they're not good enough already. Yeah. So they shut uh... down what they're good at. And women are better at being in touch with their thoughts and their feelings they're more emotionally intelligent than us at a young age, but when they become a cop or a fireman, they got to shut that down too. So one thing I always use is a car analogy and firemen are even better at cops than taking care of their cars. But these young cops and firemen work OT, get the F-350, put 40s on it or buy whatever. I don't know much about these, anything other than trucks and Jeeps because that's what I like. But you buy some cops out here have teslas and audis and they look mint right they take care of them but when it comes to their own mind their own heart and their own body physically outside of maybe hitting the gym they run it balls out the job itself and the hours and the forced ot and the suffering and the trauma that we're immersed to is running your car hard but when the check engine light comes on people put a piece of black electrical tape on it and smash the gas harder. And that yeah. black electrical tape is the drinking, screwing people you shouldn't screw, working too much overtime, fill in the blank, junk food, more tobacco, more caffeine. And then the, the tires get bald, the brakes are squeaking. Like we do not do regular maintenance on ourselves. As cops yeah. and firemen, we run it until the wheels come off. Yep. So... <clears throat> When are we going to teach maintenance? And then something else, a pattern that I've, I've heard mainly at the rehab center because it was all cops and firemen that ended up on alcohol and drugs. And it blew me away, honestly, how many cops and firemen like end up drug addicts. And sometimes yeah. you're out on a work injury and you're on opiates and then you add alcohol and then you got the work comp stress. Is there an investigation going on work comp? Or was it a use of force for a cop where they might have got shot or hurt in an incident and they're at home separated, isolated, gag ordered, and then under investigation from work comp, even though it's clear you got hurt at work and yeah. under investigation for you shouldn't have chased the car. And they sink into drug addiction and alcoholism and it's terrible. And 
you know, I would sit one on one with these people for one or two hours every Saturday for 10 or 12 hours. And a lot of the times they told me stuff before they told the therapist and I would have to encourage them like, you got to tell the therapist so they can help you work through this. And they trusted me more because I was a former cop. But it's like, I say we all have a misery cup and all these different things in our life, starting from childhood, whatever adversity, setbacks, hardship, heartache, it gets put in this misery cup. And if you don't learn to dump a little of that cup out and filter it and figure out what lessons it's trying to teach you, and you do that, it doesn't always have to be therapy. Do you have really good friends that you can trust that aren't going to give you bullshit advice that you can laugh, cuss, or cry at three in the morning and they just hear you out? They don't judge you and they don't give you advice and say you're weak for crying. Like you need friends that you can unload your stuff to. And if you don't have them, do you have any mentors or elders? And if you don't have them, then yeah, a therapist or a clergy is not bad. They're objective. They're not going to be biased and it's completely confidential, but you can do things like journaling and meditating and all these other self-care modalities can help you come even more aware of what you've socked away. But when that cup overflows, I've had people tell me like, Hey man, I got molested by a babysitter and I never told anybody when I was 12, you know? And then I went to combat and I had to kill kids and I didn't think it bothered me, but now I'm having flashbacks and then calls from five, 10 or 15 years, they're flooded with memories and flashbacks and guilt and shame around a ton of things that aren't their fault, but they never took the time to process. So you don't know the last straw is your divorce or a breakup. Is it an injury? Is it an investigation at work? Is it a call with a dead kid or somebody that's a gnarly car accident? Whatever it is, there's usually like one final thing. And then all these unhealed wounds come back to haunt you. Yeah, I like to use the analogy of uh, it's a cardboard box that you put everything in. And most of what you put in is kind of liquid. So how long is that going to hold? Good analogy. Yeah. yeah. So, but you're right, man. It's, it's just like concussions of being cumulative. You know, it takes, it might take you a little bit to get that first concussion, but then the second one's a little easier. The third one's a little easier than that. And then pretty soon you're Chuck Liddell and a strong wind knocks you out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but yeah, the, the idea of police and firemen being, it's like we do this thing where we're not very self-aware and we actively try to not be, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, you push everything down and because that's the culture of, you know, these people have to rely on me or I have to rely on these people to, you know, it's life or death and, you know, if I show any weakness or any chink in the armor, then I'm not fit to be here. And yeah. that permeates the whole culture. And it really makes it very counterproductive, to say the least, to get, to gain any traction, to get that culture shift of, hey, we know these are problems. This is totally normal of, like you said, you see a dead kid or a mangled body or whatever that should affect you. If it doesn't affect you, 
it's like we have this idea that we we should be superhuman and it's not going to affect us well guess what the people that are not affected by that stuff are psychopaths exactly (laughs) so (laughs) i mean come on it's gonna affect you and it like you said there's a bunch of different ways that you can handle it that are constructive and can build resilience and post-traumatic growth drinking and doing all the other stuff that ain't the way to do it you gotta you know talk to somebody journal float tank whatever it is just do something awareness i've been on this kick lately of you know awareness is great that's fantastic great you're aware of the problem but just because you're aware of it now that's the first step the second step Mm -hmm. is you got to do something about it it's not like we're going to pull up in front of a house that's on fire and we're going to look at each other in the fire truck and go man we're aware that house is on fire somebody else should really do something about that no it's your job and it's your job to take charge of your own mental health your spiritual health your physical health be your own advocate and make sure that you're the best that you can be. Mm-hmm. Don't wait on somebody else to come take you by the hand. And you know, you're not a horse. They're not going to lead you to water. You got to do it yourself to reach out, find those resources and do the things you need to do to make a difference in your own life. So you can continue yeah. to make a difference in everybody else's. Mm-hmm. Self-care is not selfish. If your well goes dry, you can't give anybody else a drink. Man. And first responders are so good at taking care of everyone else. But, you know, we suffer. And, you know, my my shrink said to tell these SWAT guys at the end of the month, you know, you guys literally face evil. First responders are dealing with evil and toxicity every day. And it sticks on you. And some of it gets inside of you, he said. And you just don't shit it out are his words. Like, <laughs> what, what, are, what are you doing with all this toxic, toxic stuff, this negativity? Um, well, we don't have the training. And, you know, like I'll say for cops, no agency lets not any agency I know of or not enough lets people work out on duty. Also get enough tactical firearms or martial arts to be proficient. The guys and gals that are good at that, and even the ones that make a high-speed SWAT team, they did some of that on their own to make the SWAT team where they get to do that all the time. I and you're gonna have to do you're gonna have to do the same with your mental, emotional, and your spiritual training yeah. because the talking, agency's not gonna provide it. I was talking to this cop, it's been about a year or so ago, and we were talking about, you know, their combatives training and all that stuff. And I I asked him, I said, Hey man, you know. Like, how much do you guys have to do? Like, what's the department training and all of that stuff? He's like, oh, you know, we're pretty much tops in the state. Uh, we do eight hours a year. I was like, are you kidding me? California is four hours every two years, I think. So two hours a year. And so, you know, here's something else. I, I wish I could speak to the public and say, hey, your kid that plays high school football, baseball, basketball, volleyball, at a bare minimum, unless things have changed, it's two or three hours a night that they're practicing their sports skills. So in one week, your high school athlete practices something with a ball for a game that's win or lose 
more hours than a cop gets in a year of life and death skills. And we're going to criticize them when they jack it up, when they look horrible. Like a lot of these use of force incidents that end up terrible, like the Memphis thing. And I'm not, I don't even want to get involved with it, but there was at least two or three people that when he first got out of the car that couldn't control him and get cuffs on. If there was one dude that was a high school wrestler or did judo or jujitsu or any MMA or any grappling art, they could have wrapped him up. Yeah. Right away. I mean, that actually starts a bigger conversation because in doing a little bit of research about uh, the Memphis police department, they have cut their um, standards continuously every year since I think 2016 or 2017 to the point where basically it is a high school diploma and a couple years of working at McDonald's and they will hire you to the point where they're even offering waivers for some felonies. What? Yeah. Well, you know, it doesn't shock me because police departments are begging for applicants and and fire departments are out here too. As crazy as that is. That's uh, it's nationwide. I've talked to, police and fire all over the country and it's dude it is nationwide you cannot get people at least in the numbers whenever you know 18 years ago whenever i came on the job i applied i guess 19 and a half years ago um there was almost 3000 applicants for like 130 jobs now we've got 200 jobs and we can't even get applicants And it's like that all over the country. And usually what's happening is people are leaving one fire department that, and going to another one. So that's how like this fire department over here is, uh, you know, they hired 60 people. Great. Well, they came from this department, that department and that department. So now these departments are short 30, 20 and 10, you know, it's Robin Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. Getting new blood in. And I'm not saying we're not getting some, but it's not keeping up with the weight of the rate of attrition. Yeah. So, and then the police department is the, the same way. Like Memphis, as an example, they're 500 officers short before this happened. I can't imagine how many people are going to quit since that happened. And then the fire department as well, because they fired three firefighters over that. I heard, I heard. Yeah. I, I mean, things are getting worse. Like I think we spoke before we started recording. I think I'm almost sure that every day this year in 2023, a cop has been ambushed and shot like mm-hmm. all every day or almost every single day. And things are bad. If you're not going to prosecute criminals, you're going to g- investigate and fire cops and firefighters. Like and yeah. for some cases, like, yeah, with, beating the hell out of somebody handcuffed like yeah there's no excuse for that yeah i mean yeah that the only thing that i could say about that whole situation is the officers that were involved in that never should have been officers in the first place that's most likely the case yeah so the people pushed for these lower like people don't realize what they're doing is besides generational things less people want to serve it's more about what's in it for me you demonize police like, why would a highly qualified person want to take the job, especially in a 
in a high crime place like Memphis. Yeah. And they're probably burned out, frustrated, poor equipment, poor training. And I don't know if they're prosecuting criminals there or not, but if they're not, you're getting jaded, yeah. jaded uh, cops with piss poor training. No, yeah, it's a recipe for success for sure. Yeah, yeah, and and, yeah. and if you can't even get people to enough firearms or martial arts, like, are you going to give them training and meditation, journaling? Uh, you guys should be trying to get it, even if it's on your own. Get a massage or go see an acupuncturist or go for a silence, solitude, immersion in nature, fasting from technology, an hour once a week. Go for a walk in nature. Reflect on the calls that bother you. Yeah. Journal about the calls that bother you. Then shred it or put it in the fireplace or put it in a fire pit. You know, get it off your chest. Journal about the things you're thankful for. Our brains gravitate towards worry, negativity, and stress. So are you thinking about the things on your shift and in your personal life that you're grateful for and trying to retrain your brain? Like, am I learning lessons from the, the hard stuff? Am I being thankful for having good friends at work or the people that I did get to help or whatever little things? So I still have meaning and purpose, and it's not just a paycheck. Like, if you're a cop and a fireman, and it's gone from an adventure that made your life better, made you a better human to it's just a paycheck and I'm trying to survive until retirement. You're going to end up bitter, jaded, sarcastic, broken down, and maybe the alcoholic or somebody with PTSD with another divorce or suicidal. Like we got to have meaning and purpose in our lives. And now more than ever, it's harder in hell for a first responder to do it. And the departments are not training them. So, yeah, you're going to have to do some stuff on your own. Um, and I wish there were more retreats out there. There are retreats, but the ones that I'm aware of are all for you have PTSD, addiction, or suicidal, and there's a long list of veterans and first responders to go on those retreats. But if they work for some people that are on the ledge, what if two years after you've been on the job, we send you on a retreat. Heck, you know, I'm not even from Missouri, but I hooked up with that minute long story, how I hooked up with that ministry in Missouri. And every year I get to take cops from LA four days of fishing, clay pigeon shooting, riding ATVs. We work out, we eat, and we're just in nature chilling. And every year the, it's just like for them to experience being in nature and relaxing a lot of them <clears throat> come back and like, hey, I am going to go to therapy or I am going to start journaling or I'm going to start. They they realize they need to take better care of themselves because they see what four days of chilling out in nature does. So, gosh, even if you think yoga and journaling's meditations for hippies and bullshit, I mean, <laughs> more fishing, hunting, I say wrenching, but without the heavy metal in the background and, and the beer, like. But there's a book, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Like, do some kind of hobby that's calming, play some peaceful music, some nature sounds, woodworking. I know there's guys that do woodworking. Got to find something that calms, grounds you, and helps you be present in the moment. And yeah. then as stuff comes up, hey, what's that about? Like, if you've heard of our shadow, our shadow is the re repressed, denied, unowned aspects of ourselves that get stuffed away in the unconscious. 
And the way you get rid of a shadow is shine a light on it. So you'll often see, and that's why I like the float tank after a critical incident. Like if, if we had a ton of money and, and I was in charge of a department's wellness program, it'd be like everybody's every once in a while getting a massage, acupuncture, the float tank, the sauna, doing something to understand what it's like to physiologically chill out. But definitely if you've been in a critical incident, Hey, you're going to be going to therapy. Hopefully you trust the, whoever's the mental health professional for your agency. And if you're lucky, some agencies have anonymous blind billing where you can go to any psychologist or therapist you want. The department pays the bills and the notes and the name never go back. I mean, that's yeah. a beautiful thing. Make it anonymous. But if you can be in therapy and then having people say, hey, go try the float tank, try the cryotherapy, try the ice bath, the sauna, go do this stretch class for an hour or yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong and learn what it's like to, to train the parasympathetic nervous system and rest and relax and stuff's going to come up and then take it to the therapist or take it. If you do trust your peer support, take it to peer support. If you have mentors or elders that are playing that role in your life and it's appropriate, take it to them. Cause obviously our family's not always the appropriate people to go home and dump all our trauma on. Uh, yeah. I've talked to several guys about that, about being careful. And obviously, you know, everybody's different about what they want to share with their spouse or their family, but it's very important to remember they're not going to get it either. And you're yeah. taking a very real chance and a real danger that your secondary trauma is a real thing. And just sitting there listening to some of those stories, if it goes into detail, I mean, now you just doubled your fun, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. So, but yeah, what you were saying earlier, that whole being able to slow down. And I think that's a problem, especially on the fire department. And I know with cops as well of just going 90 miles an hour all the time of I'm going to work this job. I'm going to work at, you know, this station, I'm going to do this much overtime. I'm going to have the side job. I'm going to do these vacations, blah, blah, blah. And just go, 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 go. Eventually you have to stop. And eventually you're going to stop whether you want to or not. So, well, and that's, that's that whole wait until they're drowning. And that's, there are badass cops, firemen, Navy SEALs, Delta Force, Green Beret, NFL, NHL, NBA guys that now go to therapy or go on meditation or yoga retreats and journal. But they had to wait. Most of the time we have to wait until they're totally jacked up. But I'm glad that at least more military veterans like the badass special ops dudes are coming out and talking about it and trying to tell the younger guys, you got to do this like. And they're even getting back from deployments and doing stellate ganglion block shots. Have you heard of that? Uh, yes, I'm very familiar with those. So I tried three of them because I got them for free. They only calmed me down for like two days. Maybe I'm <laughs> too spazzy. So there, there are so there's two different ways to do it. So there's one with uh, where they put uh, something else in there that's actually because the the SGB was initially uh, approved and designed for back pain. Okay. And so there's a, 
an additive that they put in there that makes it work for back pain for the trauma slash calming down the nervous system thing. They don't have that additive in there. So, and I'm not saying that's what you got or whatever, but um, it, there's a vast difference in the two. Okay. Well, I did one on each side, a couple months apart. My blood pressure went down like amazingly for like two days, then right back up. So the third time they did the shot, plus I think it's called PNF. It's like electrical impulses. And they're like, this will make it last longer. Nah, but I, when I have surgeries, they always tell me I need way more anesthesia. So I was trying to tell them whatever you yeah. guys are doing, like double or triple, like, I don't like <laughs> I'll sign the waiver. I don't know if that's a hundred percent safe, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so, but anyways, like our special forces guys are coming back and right away they're recognizing we got to calm them down. Yeah. So they'll do that. And I know some of the special ops guys have float tanks you know, they have strength coaches, sports psychologists for our special operations guys yeah. and, and, and sports medicine people. Like, I wish we had that because that's all recovery yeah. and understanding you need rest, relaxation and recovery after combat, after our deployments. And also this is a big thing, you know, and cops and firemen can't do it until you retire. But there's special forces groups that are now doing psychedelic retreats. Yep. And they'll say that 90% of the benefit is not from <coughs> the psychedelic, but the psychedelic puts them in a state where they can be vulnerable and open up about the worst trauma. And it's like six to eight hours with, depending on what you're doing, two therapists, a man and a woman. So depending on what you want to talk about. Yeah. But then you stay in therapy for like three to six months. Yeah. So you just, it's not like being a party animal with the drugs. You go do the mushrooms, MDMA, ketamine, DMT. Ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. Yeah. And all that stuff comes up. Yeah. Then you journal, you meditate, improve your diet, improve your fitness, and stay active in therapy to integrate what are the lessons from all this trauma that came up? Yeah. So veterans are like doing a lot of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the, that's kind of the trend is the military, the general population gets a lot of stuff from the military. Like we got a lot of emergency medicine stuff from them, you know, tourniquets and gauze. And like, I mean, you just go down the list. We've benefited from that. And the whole, you know, the TBI and the PTSD and all of that research started with them and is trickling down with us. Now we're a couple of years behind them before we'll, we'll eventually catch up to where they are now. We're just behind, but that's yeah. like, you were talking about the SGB, like the main benefit or at least selling point, at least from my understanding of it is you get that shot. Then you go to therapy, like you're saying, and you can deal with those emo or you can deal with that trauma without the emotional attachment of getting activated and freaked out because it's yeah. calmed your nervous system down. Yeah. So it's just, it's a, another branch on that tree. Mm -hmm. Ketamine's legal, but I'm sure it's crazy expensive. I don't know if insurance covers it. I don't know if work comp would cover it at some point, but yeah, like, and but again, then that's waiting until the stuff's really, really, really bad. I I wish we 
could have more proactive wellness programs, but I just, I'm not going to count on agencies to do it because they're defunded and it's, and it's anything, getting anything is approved as a, a pain in the ass of the chain of command. But do we want our brothers and sisters getting divorces, having PTSD, becoming alcoholics or losing them to suicide? Like when are we going to start doing the strength and conditioning for the job mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And I'll, I'll define spirituality for people. And, and there's, there's a million different definitions, by the way. But in grad school, I looked at a lot of them, and these are kind of the ones I like the most. Spirituality is how are you living out the most important values and belief in your life? So if you're religious, plug them in. What are your religious beliefs? But you got to be reflecting on your life at the end of a shift, at the end of the night at the end of the week, <clears throat> am I living out what I say my beliefs and values are? Because unfortunately, a lot of people are hesitant initially to be like chaplain, stay away, or religious people because they've met hypocrites. Yeah. There's religious people that go Bible study Wednesday night, church on Sunday. And if you ask the neighbors what kind of people they are, the Starbucks employees that deal with them, they're like, these people are assholes. So how's that religion working out for you if you're a jerk? So look at whatever your most important values and beliefs are and reflect on if you're living them out. <clears throat> you also have to know and be able to articulate them. How do you relate to your community? How do you relate to the five to 10 closest people in your life? And cops and firemen, as far as community, are more involved in the nitty gritty, real, real stuff than anyone else. So I think cops and firemen are deeply spiritual, whether they think it or not because they're around the intensity of the worst and the highest emotions a human can have. How do you relate to humanity? And by that, I mean, how do you see what you have in common with all other people? We live in a dualistic society. We are trained to differentiate by color of skin, by political party, by who you voted for, or what, what stance you take on the vaccine or something else. And if somebody doesn't agree, you can't be friends with them. The more you experience oh, life. I'm going to get on my soapbox about that. All right. <laughs> the more you experience life, and this is all the different religious traditions, at least the contemplative and mystical traditions. The more I experience hardships, suffering, and love, because the lessons, the greatest lessons we learn are through great love and great suffering. Those are the two greatest teachers. And you should start seeing what you have in common with people rather than uh, my name. Most of my neighbors are Democrat and voted for Biden and love him and hate Trump. So I can't be friends with them because I'm a Republican and I'm I'm obviously pro police. And most people around here are not. So can I not be there's beautiful people. Some of my best friends are liberal, very liberal. Some of my closest confidants, if you cannot spend time with people that different viewpoints than you, you will never grow. So how do you relate to your community? How do you relate to the people closest to you? How do you relate to your higher power if you believe in God or a higher power? And if you don't, how does your life relate to the greater good? Like what has more importance than what's in it for me? Hopefully that you have a, a greater good as your family, your station, your police department, or your community if you're doing this job. So how do you relate to something that's bigger than yourself? Then also, what's your framework for learning and growing from adversity and suffering and darkness and setbacks? Like, 
psychology, philosophy, your family values, whatever. You should be reading books, listening to podcasts, or just through life you've learned. These are some things that help me learn from the darkness and the pain and the suffering. Um, you know, an analogy I use for therapy when I got medically retired would be driving to my wizard here, who's a real guru, by the way. He's a psychiatrist, UCLA med school professor, also a psychoanalyst, which is different. That's looking at the unconscious. He's into meditation and yoga and nutrition, not medications. Um, but I would be driving there and getting uptight. And I was like, why am I getting uptight? I like this guy and he's helping me. Well, I realized he was so good at reading my body language. Like I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but I think I'd be talking about things. He'd be like, wow, that bothers you. Or he could see my breathing through my chest or I, my hands are on my lap and he sees me make a fist. He's like, you're pretty upset about that. I'm like, what? You don't even realize what you're doing when you're getting triggered. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, damn, he's good at finding what bothers and hurts the most and digging in. So what it felt like was my medical retirement, accepting my dream job, take-home car, toys for SWAT, coaching at Georgetown, um, teaching at the academy, all the things I loved and developing all these programs, gone, over, except that. And at the time, I was fat, wearing diapers. Like I, I mean, it was hard pills to swallow, but it's like I had a really bad infection. And if, if he didn't control that infection and it turned into gangrene, they might have to chop something off. So every time I showed up to his office, it felt like he had a Brillo pad with rubbing alcohol and he was scrubbing that infection. It hurt like an MFR. But over time, over months and years, literally years, the scar heals over and it's much less visible. I still got a scar. And I still have some pain and aches from time to time, but I'm way more functional and I've learned a lot of lessons from it. And I'm glad that he, he cleaned out that infection and we work together. So doing this work is not going to be easy, but what your, do you want the PTSD, the addiction, suicidal ideation, the divorces, or do your mental, emotional, and your spiritual work and, you know, mental fitness and emotional fitness or competency because when we talk about mental health in these professions, it usually is just around addiction, PTSD, suicide. Yeah. But, you know, how are you operating? Are you even aware of your thought life? Are you aware of your feelings? Do you have a lot of life satisfaction? Are you reflecting on your thoughts and feelings and understanding how they affect your behaviors and what patterns that you've been repeating probably for most of your life in different ways that you need to learn to make changes to? So oh, it's not mean, just dealing with it when it's broken. You mean take some self-responsibility and, uh, you know, be proactive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, I'm going to remind you it's 2023 and you can't talk like that. It's uh, always somebody else's fault. And, uh, you know, somebody else is going to, going to do the work for me. Don't, don't be a copper fireman then. Like, <laughs> or, or, and sadly, right, we're not, we're having a hard time with the military too. So we're going to have, oh, this gets into generational stuff and technology has changed everything. And by the way, technology is just as much as a distraction, self-medicating and numbing oh, as drugs, alcohol, sex, 
TV. I mean, I challenge people to drive home from your shift in silence. If you can shut everything down and drive in silence and do a body scan, so like pay attention to your body, see what thoughts come up, do some breath work to calm your physiology down. Simple rule, like there's all kinds of ways to do breath work, but do nostril only breathing and make your exhale longer than your inhale. You know, see if your shoulders are tight, see where you got tension, reflect on things that you're grateful for in that shift and what things like, what are my real feelings now that I'm away from that call that did piss me off or that hurts my feelings or that just sucks. And like, let's drive home and kind of take the armor off before we walk into our families or our roommates or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, but that goes back to, you know, what you were talking about earlier of being proactive and starting that stuff before the wheels come off. And I think that's, that's the only way that we're going to get a, a meaningful culture change to where this stuff, it, I don't think it's ever going to go away. You're always going to have those that are going to trend towards PTSD or suicidal ideation or whatever. I think it's unrealistic to think that that's not going to happen because that's people. And that's what fire departments and police departments are made up of as people. Yeah. All, diff all different types. And we ha all have our different problems, different traumas that we brought in. But what I think we can make the goal at that is realistic is we're going to give everybody the tools to recognize it and be proactive early, take care of their mental health early. You know, we've been beating that drum for over a year now on this podcast about pay attention to yourself, pay attention to what's going on, be accountable to yourself, you know, take some responsibility. It's not everybody else's fault. It's look, ultimately we all chose this line of work. Now, did we know what we were getting into exactly whenever we chose it? No, because there's no way you can. There's no way that you're going to prepare somebody. You can give them all the classes you want about, hey, on your first day, you're going to run a call and the old lady is going to look just like your grandma or you're going to run a SIDS death or a baby got ran over by a car or whatever the call may be. You can tell them that. That doesn't mean they're going to understand. They're not going to understand because mm -hmm. you're not going to understand that until you are there in that situation, dealing with that issue. What they need to understand is the tools to help them move past it, move through it and come out the other side, more resilient, stronger, and to where it doesn't leave that lingering effect and stain on them for the rest of their yeah. career. Yeah. I mean, this is about, you know, we, you talk about fitness as well. It's a way to keep your mind fit. If you're fit, it reduces your chances of injury. It lengthens out your career to where you can be stronger, bigger, faster, whatever, more optimal for a greater duration of your career. Eventually in both of these careers, there's going to come a point where physically you're just not able to do it anymore. Yeah. And you have to realize that. Why would you eat the fried foods, the all the crappy stuff and like just not pay any attention to your physical health and then wonder why at 35 or 40 years old, you're 40, 50 pounds overweight or even more. It hurts to walk up and down stairs. You're out of breath all the time. Well, yeah, you're not physically able to do the fucking job anymore. Mm -hmm. And you did it to yourself. 
and your mental health is no different than that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's my soapbox. Oh, and the ability to agree to disagree with everybody and still be friends. When did we lose that in this country? You know, what's funny is when I, I just turned 48 and I don't want to feel like I'm that old, but like in college growing up and in college and in even as a young adult in my twenties to thirties, I had no idea what political party people were for the most part, who they voted for or whether they were quote conservative or liberal. There might be certain issues um, that I might disagree with some of my friends, but yeah, social media politics have changed so much. Um, we're ruled by social media and cable news and it's worked because we're divisive as heck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it it wasn't even a thing whenever I was a kid, I'll be 43 in two days. And it's like, you know, I had friends growing up and, you know, like you said, throughout my twenties, thirties or whatever didn't care what political party they were. If they had different views, okay, that's your view. Cool. We can still hang out. It's not like you're the worst person ever because you think this. Because we still agree on all of these things, you know? So why are we letting this one thing that ultimately is a really small thing drive a huge wedge? And we're doing that with so many issues. Like, even the mental health thing you talk about mental health in some police departments, fire departments. If you bring that up at a station, you're immediately ostracized. Oh, really? you're, you're that guy. You know, we're not going to talk to you or we're not going to talk around you because you know, we're worried and you just go over there. It's like, come on. Ability to agree to disagree. You don't believe in it. That's fine. It believes in you still (laughs) eventually you're going to find out about it, but yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's one of those frustrating things that I've had conversation after conversation about it. Me and my buddy, Chris, who normally does the podcast with me. I mean, you know, we've been friends since we began the Academy together and he sat at the table right beside me and, but we don't agree on everything. We agree on a lot of stuff, but none of the stuff that we don't agree on is going to keep us from being friends. Mm-hmm. But we're also from that generation where that doesn't really matter. It seems like it matters more now and to the younger generation. And then even to, you know, a lot of people in our generation too. And it, maybe it's because of where I was raised and where he was raised that, you know, it was more rural, more country. And you, there's less people out there. You got to kind of keep the friends you got. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling now. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's it. I'm, I'm not on my soapbox anymore. I'm (laughs) I'm done. So, well, man, uh, dude, thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. And hopefully whenever you come out here at the end of the month, we'll, uh, we'll be able to get together. Um, yeah, and then I hope to see you again in in California soon too. So that that would be great. Yeah, I hope 
I hope Rob keeps getting more people to come out here and he gets funding and grows that into a, a bigger thing because well, you, I'm not a participant, but obviously it seems like it works. And that's how I got roped into this whole SWAT conference too, is one of the, one of the guys on your trip talked to their chief who called me and on the phone and I couldn't say no. Yep. If it was an email, I would have tried to back out talk in front of 500 SWAT guys. Like I'm busy that weekend. Hey man. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's a great opportunity. I think you'll do well. So, and just spread the message, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. What, what Rob's doing is great. And uh, it, it really does encompass a lot of what you talked about of, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and out of that just immediate area that you're in. So you can do that reset and relax and it's doing something that, especially coming from, you know, the Midwest in this area ain't a whole lot of surfers in this area, you know? So it's not something that you've probably done before. So you yeah. go out there and they give you a surfboard and they're like, all right, go have fun. And it's like, oh, what the hell am I doing with this thing? And it doesn't take you long, man, to figure it out. And really just kind of, it's not even about the surfing, which the surfing is, a, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. But just being in the ocean and sitting on that board or laying on that board, it's a whole different experience. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. And, yeah. Well, and vice versa. Cops from L.A., that go to the middle of nowhere in Missouri and they see fireflies and thunderstorms and a eagle swoop down over a body of water and shoot clay pigeons at night. Yeah. Get to ride a horse, ride some ATVs and fish with like professional fishing guides. It's like, wow, never had this kind of peace before. Yeah. Totally different experience. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's getting out of your comfort zone, doing something totally foreign to you. Sometimes, I mean, that's exactly what you need to do the reset. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, I really do appreciate it. And uh I'd like to get you back on again at some point in the future. So anytime. I have no problems chatting it up. All right. Uh any closing thoughts? Uh a couple quotes that I'm that I always use, and I better remember to use these when I come to Missouri. Pain that is not transformed is transmitted. Pain that is not transformed is transmitted. So whatever pain you're dealing with on the job, you're going to take it on the next call. You're going to take it out on your coworkers. More often than not, you take it out on your family and the people you're closest to and you just don't know. And another quote that relates to that, if you don't heal what hurt you, you will bleed on people that did not cut you. If you do not heal what hurts you, you will bleed on people that did not cut you. Same kind of thing. We're taking all this toxicity and negativity at work. We're, we're pulling our emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, we're pulling away from the stove, but not realizing that it's given us some damage. We're not working on dumping out that misery cup, and we often are hurting the people we love the most, our immediate family, friends or the person that ends up bitter and jaded on the job. So <clears throat> please, self-care is not selfish. Let's not have the badge of honor be the guy that works the 80 to 90 hours of overtime every pay period, unless it's like mandatory now, which a lot of people are getting. But 
we used to do the badge of honor, like, oh, that guy's cool. He works so much. And you're cool for drinking so many energy drinks and chewing that much and drinking that much coffee and eating junk food. Like, we act like those guys are cool for raking in the OT when, what about your spouse and children? You know, what about your health? You're, You're the one that's running the car into the ground, not doing maintenance. And eventually you're going to blow something out and I don't want to see it. And I know we don't want to see our brothers and sisters with PTSD addiction and suicide. So be proactive about your mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical health. And I don't know what hobbies you had before you started this job and you stopped doing, pick them back up. Uh, Can you make a commitment once a month to try something new like a massage or the float tank, or God forbid, a yoga or a Tai Chi class, you know, if it's not too hippie for you Midwest people. Um, <laughs> so chiropractor, acupuncture. Um, yeah, just try things that are about calming your body down. Silence, solitude, immersion in nature, and fasting from technology hour or two or three or a half day or a full day where you're not looking at the phone. I'm not looking at my phone, the internet or TV or turning the radio on at all. Just going to chill out. Yeah. Words to live by for sure. So, all right, everybody. Thanks for stopping by. Remember if you are struggling, reach out, there are resources out there and maybe be a little bit proactive. So you don't get to the point where you need certain resources. And if you have a friend that's struggling, if you know somebody, reach out, let them know you care. Let them know that they're not alone. Um, Yeah, thanks. And uh, we'll see you next time.